This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hamling and I'm your host as we look back on Palace's 2-0 defeat against champions Manchester City. It was a decent display from Roy Hodgson's men, but ultimately the visitors proved too strong for the Eagles to continue their strong run of results. Uh, we'll be getting into the detail in just a moment and also looking at some of the other key points from the week. No paywall, no subscription. Back of the Nest. Fan-created podcasts, videos and articles. Free forever. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, let's introduce you to my wonderful panel uh, and I've given you the uh, objective of wonderful in advance if you could perform wonderfully that would be really really helpful first up DR Kernaz hello hello it is good to hear from you DR it's been a while it is I'm going to ask you a question straight away can you rob yourself no I'm not saying you in particular but like can someone rob themselves I feel you should have uh, enunciated a bit better in there because it did sound a little bit like you said can you rub yourself and um oh sorry I'm drinking that- water and you came straight away yeah. to me. Yeah, so Rob, as in as in yeah. steal from yourself. Yep. I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you asked this question pre-show, and and, I, and I'm kind of baffled. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think? Can you steal from yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, if you do with intent of I'm going to steal from myself and give it to someone else, then doesn't that class as robbing yourself? So, so you're Robin Hooding yourself. You're stealing from yourself the rich and giving to the poor other people. Well, you're complicated. You're complicated. What? Complicated? What? Can I say what? <laughs> well, you you're complicated com- the word. Yeah, you, exactly. You, com- you complicated the word complicated. So, <laughs> I mean, what, what to do with that? Um, I'm, I'm going to have to ask uh, Mike and Chris. Mike, uh, start with you. Are you, do you the concept of stealing from yourself? How do you feel about that? There's definitely been nights where I've woke up the next morning and I, drunk me, has tea-leafed some serious cash out of normal me's bank account. Uh, so um, I suppose I've robbed me then. But otherwise, uh, I'd just put it down to another DRism. I think you can, um, for exactly the same reason Mike's just said, but also added to that, I kind of lived that life yesterday because, um, yeah, the Porsons was particularly uh, enriched through um, my... 
contributions at the bar yesterday. I'm, I definitely took out at least 50 quid and I now have no money at all um, left at the end of that night. So it was, it was a good night, but I've also been absolutely broken um, at the time of recording. Utterly useless. Yeah. Yeah, you're not sounding too great, but if there's any way of lifting you, it's having to record a podcast whilst hungover. Um, seeing, seeing as we're talking to you, obviously, this is Chris Clark, and um, hello, Chris. Yeah, hello, Chris. Um, bit broken, as, as we said, but oh, really raring to go for the show. You sound raring to go. I mean, <laughs> something in your voice suggests that that's a lie, but we won't dwell on it. Uh, Mike Scott. Yeah, I, I actually... Uh... I didn't stay out quite as late as uh, Chris did, but I joined him at the Paulsons uh, after a few drinks at the Glazers and uh, a couple in the Cronks during the game. And um, my daughter woke me up at 5.30 this morning. So um, I blame Chris for how I felt for about the first six hours of the day today. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Excellent, mm. excellent stuff. Well, you're absolutely right. Right to ask how I'm feeling after uh, doing the the uh, Palace for Life marathon last week. Was um, it? Oh, yeah. How, 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 sorry, yeah. sorry. Uh, it was emotional, guys. I mean, I, this year. I mean, obviously, there's a load of us did it last year. This year, not quite so many. <laughs> me, me and Sai were the only people that made it. Um, but noticeably, I had a very different experience this year because do you know what? Apparently, well, in fact, in practice, it makes a huge difference if you actually train and prepare yourself and follow the sort of guidelines that they give you instead of reading them afterwards, wondering why things hurt so much. So, Can't really. Um, I feel like <laughs> if you train, and you took drugs as well. I took three paracetamol at the lunch break. <laughs> That's drugs. You cheated. So, I mean, you haven't completed it full on. If you If you've done it without taking drugs... I mean, training is fair, but yeah, you you took drugs. And last year, you basically made up for last year. So if you know what I mean. So, like, so I have to do it again next year without taking any paracetamol at all. And then, any- yeah, you completed then because you had to make up for last year by doing it this year. If you do it next year, then you're like, yes, I've completed it. Well, fair enough. Look, um, thank you to everyone who sponsored, by the way. Really appreciate it. And you can still do so if you go on to uh, justgiving.com, search for Back of the Nest uh, 2019, and you'll see that we're still fundraising there. But um, it made a big difference. And obviously, I want to give a quick shout out to, uh, to Cy Pizzi as well, who was um, who was great company walking around the place. He, he's actually run marathons before, and I felt pretty good for the fact that I sort of kept up with him the whole time. And you know, and uh, he himself pointed out it was the the longest he'd ever exercised for, and, and it's quite good to have that sort of context that you know running a marathon is obviously extremely tough, and I don't think something I could do, but um, but it was for different reasons. It's seemingly equally tough to walk one. So um, excellent stuff. Anyway, I won't dwell any more on that. Uh, obviously, we're here to talk about Palace's game against Manchester City and a variety of other things, and included in that variety of other things, we've also got the. Uh, Benteke and Tompkins contract extensions to talk about. Uh, just before we do that, um, obviously not all of you are on social media, so if you do want to get in touch with the show and you're not using Twitter, Instagram or Facebook or anything like that, you can email us directly at uh, hi at backofthenest.com. Um, not this week, but usually we'll be releasing a Your View podcast on a Tuesday when we've got loads of your uh, audio clips. We're a bit uh, pushed for time this week, so I don't think that'll happen. And of course, 
keep your iTunes reviews coming or whatever podcast app that you um, happen to use. Give us five stars. It means an awful lot to us, but not only that, it really does help um, share the show with a number of, well, I say a number of different people. With lots of different people, they they get to see more. They see the recommendations, much more likely to download it, and then we feel better because it pushes us even further up the charts, which Mikey watches like a hawk. Anyway, everybody, let's talk about the fact that um, it was announced this week that well, I think most people were very comfortable with James Tompkins getting a contract extension. Um, been an absolutely fantastic signing. We'll talk about him in just a moment. But I suppose the, probably the headline news was the extension on a contract for Christian Benteke, given his form over the last couple of seasons um, going into this season as well. So I can give my views in just a minute. But I think, Mike, this is a, a topic you started. So wondering what your personal views on it are? Well, it, it's an interesting one because I think first, um, something that they're not going to give away, they're going to keep close to their chest, is what the conditions are um, for this extension. Um, you'd have to assume with an extension that it would be the same conditions as um, the current rest of his contract, which is which is worrying for me. Not really because... Um, it feels like wasted money. You know, it's not my money. Um, and when people sort of go really personal about it, I find it strange because I think, well, um, this is the club's money and the, they spend it how they see fit. But um, I think what worries me is if if they've done it in order to ship him on, it was obvious in the summer that player power had the impact of not getting rid of him when perhaps the club wanted to. Now, I've heard different stories on this I've heard that the club weren't happy with the offers the 15 million from China and they didn't feel like it was enough um, but if they were and he said I'm not going by giving an extension that seems odd because that's going to put him another 12 months of being able to say whatever he goes or not um, now whether that's an issue I don't know does that, or whether that means we're not going to sign another striker because we've got Benteke I, I don't know um, but it, it is odd and, and until we sort of find out more of the details about how the extension were, I, I sort of reserve judgment to an extent. I think um, the, the Benteke one, of course, people are going to be going at it because he hasn't performed over the last two seasons, last two seasons, but you never want to lose a player on a free. And I don't see a market for him in England. I don't see someone from England trying to, come and purchase Benteke off us because they've seen him over the last few years and now he's built up a negative reputation. But abroad, and I'm saying, when I say abroad, especially Turkey, if you say Benteke, people are still like, oh, Christian Benteke. He's still got this reputation of being a classy player. And I feel like that will play a part in it. Um, I still think that he's got a bit of value. And, and I know that sounds crazy, but... You saw in summer the reported China bid, for example, 15 million. Someone still came for 15 million for Benteke. And it's another season. And this is a massive time for Benteke to actually prove himself <clears throat> because I've personally lost hope in him. Um, I don't see a way back for him at Palace, but he's got another season. And if it don't work out, we'll try selling him on. And I think we can still do that. Well, I think... I mean, he's what is he? Twenty eight must be coming up to twenty nine, and I, I think the fact he still holds value is because people remember the player he was before the, the last couple of years, and it does make logical sense that you that a, 
you know, a team or a manager might look at him and say, actually, it will suit our, the way we play so much better. We'll, we'll provide such better service. He won't have to do all the running around. But it's exactly what we want. Um, and they will have faith that, that he is going to recover that goal-scoring touch, recover that confidence. You know, he still obviously played for, for Belgium. Uh, at the international break and uh, and scored a decent goal from actually, I think it was from actually outside the box, um, if I remember correctly. So there's obviously still faith in the, that there's ability there. But, you know, mentally, I think that's the question. And I, I'm with Mike on this. I don't really put any value in people being abusive about it. It's pretty obvious that the club aren't giving him a contract because he's earned it through how he's playing. I think I think that goes out the window. It's clearly a, a means of protecting the value of the player because clear, there must be interest in him for that to happen. Um, but I think the, the sort of other thing I would mention is perhaps what if we let him go on a free and the worst happens and we have our targets in the transfer window and we fail miserably uh, to get them in because that's happened, right? And we end up with no new strikers and no Benteke, things get even worse. Um, and, and I think that's a distinct possibility as well. And if he's there willing to accept a, an additional year, and I suggest probably willing to accept a, a reasonable pay cut, um, I don't think we've done anything other than try to protect the value of a player that, that, that there is a market for. Look, I'll use this, I'll use this as an example. When we uh, sent Serloff on loan to Trabzonspor, people actually greeted him at the airport. I mean, he couldn't kick a ball for us. And then when Farkar went to Turkey, 50,000 people went to the open ceremony. I still have a feeling that Benteke, he's better than Solov, but I don't think he's got a reputation such as Farkar. He'll still attract 25,000 people to his open ceremony. He's like, he's that kind of player. And I mean, age doesn't matter. In in countries, um, even in you look at the MLS, for example, it's like, from the previous, as you mentioned, Hamburg, from the previous experience, um, reputation, that's what people really care about. And that's what's being on people's head. People don't look at Christian Benteke right now from abroad and say, oh, he's only scored how many goals in two years? They don't see that. They, they still think about the times at Aston Villa. So that's why I feel like it's a good move from the club. He's 28 years old, just um, answering and confirming what you said, Hambo. Um, he turns 29 in December. He's I, th- I think there's still potentially a way back for him, you know, to start games and score goals. Now that that may be controversial. There are lots of people um, who have a continuing downer on him, and indeed probably a justified lack of faith because he hasn't delivered over the last couple of years. On the other hand, I thought, you know, I mean, we we are obviously reviewing the game as well today, and I thought he, he had a really good headed chance that he took really well, and it was a good save that stopped that going in. So, you know, I, I think there's a way back for him. I'm happy he signed the extension, and I don't think it's just about protecting the value. At the moment, we haven't got someone who offers what he offers, and you know, other than him. So I'd, I'd say we, we keep him, and it's the right thing to do. I'm not sure it's worth discussing whether he's going to come good anymore. I mean... Um, I heard a talk of it on a, a certain other Palace pod, um, you know, saying oh, he, he probably will come good. I mean, you you wouldn't make a business decision based on something that's provided no financial reward for the best part of three years. So I mean, I'm sure he will come good. I'm sure he will score a goal for someone. But I mean, the chances are he's not going to suddenly go back to how he was. He might score the odd goal. Um, because, you know, 
he's a, he is a striker. Um, the odds are stacked in favour of him scoring at some point. But I don't think that's part of the argument in this. And, and when people are saying, oh, we shouldn't have given him extension because he's useless, Hambo's totally right. That just doesn't come into it. It's literally holding together his value and holding together the fact that we actually have, what, three strikers, one of which is injured the whole time. So we don't really have any options um, unless we pull in one out of the under-23s. Well, exactly. And, and, you know, with the greatest respect to the under-23s, there's nobody pulling up trees and pushing for a place in terms of being a, a forward who can lead the line and perhaps most importantly, lead the line in the way that uh, the Roy Hudson method requires. And I think that perhaps is the, the biggest challenge of all. You know, Ben Teke doesn't really suit the way that Roy wants to play. And it's noticeable that that isn't going to change. It's the player that's had to adapt, not the system. And that's been across the board, really. It's not just about Christian Benteke. Lots of other players have had to adapt and take Andrus Townsend. He finds himself out of the team right now for that precise reason. But I think, you know, we, we can sort of talk around in circles about it. I think the bottom line is it's completely understandable to have a a negative reaction to a player who has been consistently underperforming for a long period of time, being kept at the club. And I know in, certainly in some people's minds, they'll be thinking back to contracts awarded to players who who simply weren't going to play. You know, Johnny Williams, Paddy McCarthy, if you go back a little while, even, I guess, Julian Speroni to a point, although that, personally I believe that's sacrilege, but um, it, it's been mentioned before. Um, and you just think, you know, I suppose when you're when you're looking at the club saying, well, not necessarily even openly saying, you're looking at the suspicion that we don't have huge amounts of money to, to fling around in the direction of players, it does kind of feel like a bit of a, a waste to put resources into, into you know, people who aren't performing and whatever Ben Teke's taken as a as a contract you could certainly argue it's too much uh, when you look at it even over the course of, of of the additional year you know it's 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 a probably a pretty large sum of money but it's just dwarfed by the amount of money it takes to replace him with even a, a, a an average striker um, and even look at the bargain in, in Jordan Ayew that's still in terms of contract and transfer fee it's still a large sum of money and probably way in excess of what Benteke costs for a year as well. But anyway, that's more than enough. I feel a little bit disrespectful just to sort of glance glance in Tompkins' directions and say, yep, contract deserved. But but it, that's really all you can say about it. He's been great for us. Unfortunate that he's been injured of late, but um, back to fitness and played a fairly decent spell in the game as well. Um, so glad we're keeping him about. Glad he was willing to sign the contract and stay with the club. And nothing positive things to say about that. So let's let's just delve straight into the game, and we're going to start off um, really with um, a sort of an assessment of the game, which I, I kind of understand, and it's perhaps been in keeping with some of the more negative views that we've put forward on this show. But I think it's a good starting off point. Um, so there's a couple of comments. It starts with uh, Eastern Eagle on Twitter, who, who referred to the performance um, as an unimaginative dull surrender. He said, at least have a go, or what's the point? Roy is completely in awe of Pep, sets the team up with zero belief or confidence. Wilf is drained of ambition or threat. All other or all other flair players watching. Seriously disappointing all round. Uh, Rob Palmer backed that up with saying, absolutely agree. Gave Man City too much respect. Sat far too deep. Have we learned nothing from Norwich and Wolves in recent weeks? You've got to get at them. Break up their rhythm. Give David Silva or De Bruyne, De Bruyne a time and they'll punish you. Zaha is not on form. I am so 
confused, like, really. I respect other people's views, of course. But, I mean, last year when we went to play City at the Etihad, did we go and get a result by going and attacking them and pushing forward? No, we didn't. We sat back, we observed the pressure, and then we hit them on a counter-attack. Um, we decided to go with the same approach because, as you saw with the second goal against um, against us from City, when we did open up, they'll they've got so much class that they'll just they'll just destroy you. So I don't understand where people are, or how people are criticizing the setup. I mean, end of the day, yeah, we are sixth, but it's because we've played smart and not expressive football because that's our strength right now. And going into City and asking the team to go and push forward and attack City and open up space at the back, I think you would have been looking at scoreline more to 5-6-0 to six nil rather than 2-0. The downside to this performance wasn't the setup. It was the fact that we conceded in the first half. If we stayed on like that, uh, if we went into the second half 0-0, I feel like the game would have opened up a bit more and would have had more chances. But, I mean, you look at the two sides, City's bench is better than our starting 11. So, I, I don't understand did you just describe it as observing the pressure? I don't even know. I might. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, mean, that's, I guess it probably, that is true in a way. But yeah, um, absorbing the pressure is definitely what we did. I just want to take issue. I mean, I, I kind of understand um, the point and um, I think a lot of people felt it in the heat of the moment, um, especially when the second one went in, that that, is, that was kind of what happened. But uh, by the end of the game got my head around it I think a lot of people around me got their heads around it and 2-0 Man City is, is certainly there's no shame in that um, but this sort of talk of, of of all the flair players being on the bench I mean what defines a flair player I, it's it's an odd one I would describe Joel Ward as having flair because he has an excellent hair um, I'm not sure <laughs> I, I I don't think we could have had any more. If you, I assume you're referring to Kamarasa and and Mayer. Um, I'm not sure we could have any more flair players on the pitch because simply they were really, really good teams. So you need a lot of defensive-minded players, and that's not to say that those defensive-minded players are not flair players. Um, there was a ball yesterday, and I, I, unless you unless you saw it, on, I'm not even sure it came on the TV, but. Um, there was a there was a flick over from um, the ball was about to go off for a throw in and I think it was Joel Ward just hooked the ball over um, to the to the left hand side of the pitch I don't know if anyone remembers it and and there was it, it was an amazing bit of skill yeah. um, and that that to me is flair they they they're solid dependable Hodgson style players but it, it just seems a bit harsh to describe them as non flair players uh, maybe I'm just splitting hairs but. I know exactly what you're talking about. I think, you know, to to address that point first, you know, firstly, if you stick a whole, if you're talking about flair players, you're talking about, I think they, what we're talking about are people with that sort of spark or creativity to do something a little bit out of the ordinary, the whole create something out of nothing cliche kind of thing. But, you know, most people are talking about technical skill over sort of functionality. So first of all, playing Man City, um, when you're a club our size and, and the type of 
type of players that we have and certainly the type of manager that we have who does value functionality over flair let's face it um, and to to good effects that's not necessarily a criticism um, you, you shouldn't really be if we if we line up with a whole bunch of flair players in inverted commas I was doing the inverted commas but again you can't see it can you because it's um, it's an arrow or medium so anyway um, I just think you, you know you're asking for trouble really because you know you, you get a situation where We've got too many people up the pitch, not necessarily 100% willing to chase back and do the do the dirty work. And if you don't do that against Man City, you lose the game pure and simple. However, there, as you've kind of acknowledged, Mike, that there is a point in there that is valid and you're always going to feel when you've effectively just surrendered possession to the opposition and said, come at me, and they've successfully beaten you. I think it, Dion mentioned it. it's almost perfect if you get in at nil-nil at half-time. And we so nearly did that. And that's why it's disappointing. It's because you could argue that the that the warning signs were there and how we were going to concede that goal. But, you know, I thought that myself. When, when we conceded the goals the way that we did, which we'll talk about, you know, Roy had even identified before the game, he was asked, you know, what do you think about the fact that Manchester City are having to play midfielders at centre-back? And he basically said, and rightly so, it doesn't really matter because... You know, then their centre backs effectively aren't going to be under that much pressure, and their full backs will be pushing right up the pitch, and will be spend, spending most of the time without the ball defending. And when he mentioned the full backs being high up the pitch, I think what he was getting at is that we'd accepted that somewhere in the way that Man City play and the way that we have to defend, we're going to have to give something. So either we give that we let them have that overlap, or we end up having to get all of our players tracking back apart from Jordan Ayew standing up the pitch on his own, which completely negates us as any kind of attacking force. Um, so I think he basically went out with a game plan of, of keeping us as narrow as possible and actually letting them cross the ball in, just ensuring that we were set up properly to deal with that. It's just unfortunate that there was the one occasion um, when the ball came in from Silver from the one side where we didn't quite do enough to to put pressure on and it was too easy a ball in and, and, and we ended up conceding. So, I think it's very, very difficult to say that, oh, we should have had a go. Yes, we absolutely did have a go in the second half. And, it, it you know, attack sometimes is as good a form of defence as anything. But I can't agree that we were we gave them too much respect. And I think pointing at other games where teams like Norwich and Wolves did go for them a little bit, I think it's just as valid for DR to point out how we played them at um, uh, the Etihad last season and what we did there as to look at those two games. Um, so I've, I've gone on a bit of a rant there, and Chris, you haven't said anything yet. But um, you know, how do you feel about that? Do you feel that there is a point to be made there? Do you kind of wish that we'd had more of a go? Frankly, no. Um, but I, I think it's it's a very valid point. I understand the frustration. But if this had ended nil nil, or if we'd ended up, you know, jamming a one nil win, people would be hailing Hodgson the technical genius. And what actually happened there was that we had a good game plan. It was going really quite well, in my opinion. And then the thing is that if you're going to keep it tight and try and stop them scoring, you actually need to successfully do that. It's a really obvious, facile comment, but it's true. If you end up accidentally conceding you know, late in a half from a sucker punch and then you do it again, then you've made your job so much harder. And you know, there never really was much of a path back from that. We had to be flawless and we weren't quite. I don't think there's any shame in that. It was a, it was a fairly solid, good performance in the first half with the exception 
of the mistakes, which we'll come to when we analyse them in detail. But I'm not massively crushed by it. I, it was pretty much what I expected, which was that we'd give it a damn good go and maybe it'd work and it didn't quite. But okay, on to the next game, really. As simple as this might sound, is going into the game, what we needed was everyone staying focused for the entire of the 90 minutes, all 11 players on the pitch. And I think the one downside is that that really didn't happen. Um, I feel like, as Chris said, um, before the first goal, everything was nice and we were defending well. But I know we're going to talk about the first goal in a minute, but the first goal was due to a mistake. And that's what I was on about before the game, whereas you can't make that one mistake against City. You might be a, you might be able to afford that against a team like Wolves and Norwich, but you can't afford that against City. And that's what really caused it. I don't think it was tactics, but it was more individual errors that led to this result. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And we'll talk about the goal now. So, obviously, as mentioned before, we'd, we'd allowed um, Man City to have the overlap with the full-backs on a regular basis. We'd allowed them that little bit of space out wide without panicking about it. But I just lost that little bit of shape a little bit. Um, ball got pushed out to um, the right-hand side, our left. And you just had that little bit of moment because it's Fernandinho who's pushing forward with the ball initially. Um, and IU's tracking back with him. And, and it's Jeffrey Slop who doesn't quite know what to do there because he's watching Cancelo and, and realising that he's not making a move to overlap, so he doesn't stand too close to him. But then there's also Silva behind him, and what he isn't, what he hasn't seen is that PVA has been occupied with Marking De Bruyne. So really what he needs to do there is, is sort of get his head up, look at where the spare man is, and the spare man, unfortunately, is Bernardo Silva. But instead, Schlupp gets sort of drawn towards the ball because Ayu's still tracking back but not getting a foot in, and, and he kind of just inches towards the ball and it's just too slow he's not been decisive with anything that he's done and to me that's the the individual error um, because by the time the ball goes out to silver you know Schlupp is marking nobody's in no man's man PVA's suddenly got De Bruyne and um, Bernardo Silva to mark so by the time he's pointed at someone else to come in and pick up De Bruyne Bernardo Silva's already put the cross in and it's too late but we're very, very unlucky as well because obviously, you know, Gabriel Jesus misses the header, comes off of his shoulder and then it goes in off the post. And um, very, very disappointing from my perspective uh, when, when you actually analyse the goal. Because when I saw it, first of all, I just thought inevitability that they're putting crosses in at one of those crosses, eventually going to find its target. But for me, it's very preventable if people are switched on. Yeah, but I wouldn't only focus on Jeffrey Slup. I mean... Joel Wood, that was his man. James Tompkins, um, he had another city player to mark and then Joel Wood was on Gabriel Jesus, but he was sitting too far back and he just lost him. So, I mean, if we're to blame Jeffrey Schlupp, I feel like Wood deserves the same amount of blame as well because, all right, the ball did go in the box, but if Wood did pick up his man, then he wouldn't have had an open header. So, I feel like it was a combination of errors and I wouldn't blame it on one person in particular. I mean, I, I, I've definitely come across as a Joe Ward fanboy on this pod. I know that, but um, I'm not sure I can totally blame him. Um, there, there always is going to be the odds time in the game where the defender loses the striker when they're that good. And it pains me to say that he's good because of his celebration of the goal, um, goading the lower homestyle, he is a sh- little twat. That, that, that he is an absolute twat, but he is a very good striker. Um, 
he's going to lose his defender. Um, and when you're talking about a £400,000 defender as well, um, it's, it's going to happen occasionally. It's, it's Man City. Um, but I sort of fear towards Hambo's point that it was preventable in the first place. And, and this kind of leads back to the, well, flair players are not going to help you. Um, because... It, it's an odd thing to say, but at times, Jeffrey Schlupp is a bit of a luxury player. Um, we've discussed it before. He he doesn't quite do the legwork that um, you'd get from Andros. Um, so I know he's versatile, et cetera, et cetera, but um, there, are, there are things he's not so good at. Um, and if he's got the same problems that PVA's got, um, you are going to get balls in that maybe wouldn't have come in. Um, so it, it's a difficult one. It, it was a depressing one to see. It was a bad time in the game, just, you know, 39 minutes. Um, it cleaned out the um, the crowds. Everyone went absolutely silent, even the HF. Um, it, yeah, it was a tough one to swallow, but Man City have done that against better teams than us. What's, I, I'm not bad. What's going on here with the Jeffrey Schlop slander? I mean, before the first goal was conceded, he'd done a pretty well job um, covering for Patrick Van Aanholt and so did Wilfred Zaha. And I know we'll talk about Wilf later on in the game, but you can't put all the blame on Jeffrey Schlop. I, I just can't buy it because before we conceded, as I'm saying, he was good. And It's not always about blame, though. It's about the fact that sometimes... You've got players that are less good than the players you're playing against. Um, and I, I think that's one of those... Go- it was annoying. I, the ball came off his shoulder. If it had come off his head, you know, maybe Hennessy would have saved it. Um, you're splitting hairs when you talk about this kind of thing, but that's what we're here to do on, on, on a pod. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's upset that that goal went in or that we lost 2-0. Um but I, I don't think you can just blame Ward. That, that's a bit like watching the last two seconds of the goal, you know? Yeah, and to sort of make the point, um, well, I mean, <laughs> how can I say this? First of all, I would challenge DR's point that Jeffrey Slup had done well up to that point. Um, I think when Roy Hodgson actually subbed him on 55 minutes, I think that tells you realistically what kind of a game he was having. I thought he was awful. But, you know, it's, it's clear from anyone who listens to this pod on a regular basis, I'm not a big fan. I've actually been quite, uh, I praised him quite a lot in the in the role where he's been playing as a as part of the front three because I don't think it matters quite so much where he has, shall I say, those sort of la- moments of where he lacks intensity in doing either going defending or going forward. Um, it's, it's interesting because Roy's a, the manager who values people who are focused and do carry out the inst- instructions perfectly. And it's weird. I've never really seen the correlation between that and Jeffrey Schlupp that he does. Uh, but he's been very vocal about the fact that um, that he feels you know Schlupp is an underrated player, so it, it must be it must be him who's correct rather than myself. But I see, I just see a player who unfortunately at key moments does lack the intensity of defending. If I could maybe give an example in that game, and we are talking about such fine margins as Mike is getting at, we are talking about micro analysis here. But if you look when Wilf had the opportunity to break down the right in the first half and he was outpaced by Fernandinho, um, that was because Fernandinho broke his neck to get back, absolutely sprinted at top speed. You know, if, if Wilf had got to the ball first and turned him, Fernandinho would have run out the, run out the ground. It was that he was running that quick. Um, and that kind of dedication, and Ster- Sterling did it as well on Wilf in the... Um, they were in the first half check running back as well just absolutely giving it everything 
And unfortunately, whenever I happen to see us see a, see a moment of um, of Jeff defending, as an example, he has this tendency to lightly jog towards players, and you just want to see sometimes an intensity. Now, I'm, it's not just him; plenty of our players do that because the way that we defend, the way that we operate, it's all about zones and positioning and space between players. So it is a symptom of how we play as much as it is a symptom of the player. But, you know, I just had this feeling that every time we seem to analyse a goal, there seems to be a lack of closing down from a particular player. And um, I'm going to try to avoid mentioning him every week because it will sound like it's a complete witch hunt. So, and I know what happens if if I turn it into a witch hunt, um, Chris, you're going to get particularly upset, aren't you? Any, Any comments to make? I am going to come in on this. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that you can really fairly blame Schluck for this incident. You know, I mean, acknowledge the point that he, you know, should have, you know, maybe done a couple of things differently earlier on in that move. But ultimately, if you know, if the player, if the defensive players are in the correct positions, then that goal doesn't happen. Um, watching it back, very as you've said before, it's you know very very fine margins. Um, there's a point where Tompkins is actually closer to Jesus than Ward. And I think there's a there's a complete lack of coordination at that particular moment. I think everyone had switched off and it just didn't it wasn't an ideal situation, but there was no going back. Once Jesus changed direction, Tompkins couldn't get there, Ward was in the wrong place. That's how the goal happened. And you know, it's incredibly frustrating and crushingly you used the word inevitable earlier on. It did feel like that. Um, and it was so, it was really annoying because actually I thought the plan was working up to then. No, I agree with that part. I certainly don't agree with your your first part, but I'm not surprised that you uh, you're defending Jeff. Um, but you know that's what we're here for. We're here to disagree with each other as much as agree. So that's I'm, I'm fine with that, and we'll leave it where it is. Uh, or we'll spend way too much time talking about it. Before we do talk about the the real sucker punch of the second goal, lots of people, particularly on social media, um, whilst the game was going on really furious with Wayne Hennessy because he was just standing still when the ball went in. So we won't talk fully about Wayne right now because obviously, you know, lineup wise, that's what a big headline that was uh, Vicente Guaita was injured and Wayne Hennessy returned to the fold and lots of people reacted negatively just to that news. Um, and obviously it was also Kelly was out and Tompkins came back. But other than that, same team, uh, obviously allowing for the fact that, um, McCarthy dropped out for Luca to come back in as well. Um, but so I don't think any, well, you're welcome to disagree with me, but I'm going to say this right now. There is nothing that Wayne Hennessy is doing about that header. In fact, you could count him extremely unlucky for the fact that the ball has even touched the post, but you know, two keepers aren't getting to that. It's from that angle. He's standing in the right place. If he dives, he doesn't get it. It's just unfortunate the, the, with the mentality and the attitude towards Wayne, which you know, I'll be honest, I have myself. I, I don't rate him particularly highly as a goalkeeper at, at Premier League level, and just by the fact that he's just stood there, it, it's just it just makes it easy to criticise him, you know, rather, rather than a despairing dive and people might not do it. But you know, I think that's very, very harsh. And if Guaita concedes a goal in that exact, man, exact manner, nobody would say a word. I mean, rather than talking about the, the dive for the header. Um, what well, I, I, it's it's only easy to tell in the halfway that you know Hennessy's near us in the Homestale, but um, it's his positioning in general for balls coming into the box. So would Guaita perhaps have been, 
you know, very much on top of Jesus at that point. Um, it's it's a difficult one to, to talk about. Um, the one other thing I, I would bring up is that um, the last time the the Kelly Cahill axis was broken was when Saka came back into the side and we lost four 0 against Tottenham. So um, I think we probably have to think the we have got in there a keeper that they're not used to playing with. I mean, Cahill won't have played with him in a professional game thus far. Um, and uh, another central defender. So the communication is not going to be quite as strong. So, um, I, and Hennessy, I think in general, it just isn't as good with communication. I, I Like looking back at the goal, um, you can see that it was a low cross and there's nothing that Hennessy could do about it. And I feel like the same would have happened with Vicente as well. It, the cross was just in an awkward position. So I wouldn't blame the goalkeeper for it. And I mean, with the Hennessy... Um, blame for the goal. I'm not really surprised, as you said, Hamburg. There's always going to be people that's against Hennessy. And it feels like every time I speak about him, this always gets mentioned, but I feel like I need to say it again. Henny, there's no chance of Hennessy succeeding at Palace. I still don't understand why he's at the club, because there's a portion of the fan base that will never, regardless of how good he plays, never really trust him. So, I mean, it's, it's weird from the club that we've still managed to keep him for this long. And every time a window comes up, I always wonder, is this the time where Hennessy is going to be sold? For the benefit of him as well, because end of the day, footballers are humans and he also sees the comments that people say about him and it's just not good for both sides. Got to say on that, we uh, we came out slightly half cut out of the glazes when, when the guy tucked us out uh, and Hennessy was um, surrounded by people uh, trying to get selfies with him. So he still does have a bit of a fan base. Um, and uh, Chris asked if I would go and get one with him. Um, and I was, I've always, I've always wondered whether he actually was that much taller than me. Um, and he definitely is slightly taller than me. And, and when you, I think it only makes sense to people that are sort of, you know, six, six and a half foot tall. Um, you sort of spot someone that's marginally taller than you and you can't tell if they are. And you both give each other this evil of like, are you, aren't you? Because it's so rare. Um, he is a very, very tall man. Uh, but he did stay and took a photo with everyone until we came along and then he fucked off. <laughs> the um, the thing you say about um, tall people, he giving evil to other tall people. One of my best mates, my oldest friend actually, is he's over 6'9". Wow. And he, he does that. And I, I swear to God, he, he's such a placid guy. But the second he spots someone yeah. taller than him, he just, that's it. He just yep. his mood goes. He, he just can't. He can't think straight. He can't speak properly. He's just. It just gets to him. He hates it. Um, yeah. So um, See, anyway, <laughs> it's a weird Every time one. I saw someone taller than me, I can't, <laughs> I can't handle it. So that's why I, I gauge my. Yeah. You, you get on my nerves. I feel like I should let out here. <laughs> you blocked my view yesterday. That's why I just like go on the other side. I thought you'd leave because the guy that you you were standing next to had a bit of a BA problem. I didn't. Re- I didn't realize it was because of me. Oh, sorry. I couldn't see the game, and until I had to go next to Chris. Oh, all right. Let's talk about the second goal. <laughs> yeah, why not? Eh? Uh, why not? <laughs> Brutal. So look, it, it, it's the it's the, the classic sucker punch. You know, obviously from from the kickoff, we we go on the front foot, start pushing up there. I use running with the, I think Coyote running with the ball. Sorry, and um and you know, look looking like we're going to threaten. Uh, just a little interception. All of a sudden, they just turn the tails on us, sprinting up, and 
I think this is where, again, if I'm being, we're doing hyper analysis here, we're getting, you know, incredibly critical, well, trying to effectively pick things that we could have done better. But, you know, in reality, breaks are what they are. We play like this, you know, we play on the break, you know, soak up pressure, sprint and catch people when they're out of position. So it's very, very hard in a short space of time to get everybody back where they should be and defending in unison. And that's that's what we wanted to do. And unfortunately, that's what we failed to do on this break. So I think there's, there's a couple of key points. In the build-up, it was we, we did get actually back into shape relatively well. But obviously, we weren't going with players. We were going with spaces. So the players breaking um, had plenty of you – know, there was plenty of options for those those on the ball. And that's the first part that makes it tricky. We possibly would have been okay as well because – um, you know, everybody was was standing up, looking at the ball in the right positions. But unfortunately, PVA had dropped about five yards deeper than the rest of the the back four, which made the run from David Silver in behind a little bit easier than it perhaps should have been um, to stay on side. I do think the run was timed so well that actually he would have been on anyway. But um, I think the final thing to mention is what a fantastic pass it was from Raheem Sterling. He didn't have the best of games, sort of refused to score goals to keep me from getting any fantasy football points, but he um, had an absolute blind there in terms of that pass. And I think the final thing to say, and it really is that obviously Wayne Hennessy will be disappointed to be beaten with a shot through the legs, but absolutely not culpable in that. It's, it's as I said, very, very hard for anybody in our team to be criticised there because it was a break. We did our best to get back and unfortunately the, the class of Man City sort of told in the end. Yeah, 100% agree. And it really shows... Um what would happen if we did go and open up against City. I mean, you see the talent that they have on a counter-attack. But I think unlike the first goal where we were looking at, oh, is it Joe Ward's fault? Is it Jeffrey Schlupp's fault? I think you just look at that goal and it's just quality. It's just they had the better quality. And I feel like we actually done pretty well, as you said, Hambo, in terms of getting back to our shape and actually trying to stop them. But that chip... um, pass and you know your through and goal it's just so easy they make it look so easy and it just shows the difference between the two sides away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com the TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Right, so that's quite enough of uh, that, but there's a couple more bits I do want to cover, if I may, in talking about the game, gents, and that I suppose we better start with um, a couple of the key chances that we had, because obviously we were much better in the second half. We've obviously heard that a, a number of times before. Um, and I suppose you sort of hinted it earlier, would that have been the case if it was still nil-nil? Would we have seen perhaps a slightly less excitable start to the second half from a Palace perspective? What do you think, Chris? I think definitely we would have seen a different and a probably a more uh, sedate 
start to the second half if if we hadn't been behind because that I mean Roy always fine tunes at half time and we know that 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 is the way that things are you know you can see the flaws in the game but for whatever reason he doesn't seem to be able to do that in game management on you know in kind of real time it needs it, it needs to be a team talk and then the subs happen at 75 minutes and that's pretty much the methodology interestingly you know that's not the case in in this particular game because as, as you said Schlappy comes off earlier and you know there was more intensity in in that second half performance it, you know but I still think that you know it's it's more likely that you know we would have seen an improvement just not quite the same level of step change as we did in this particular game I'd be really interested from any listener that that knows these stats that's really into their stats um I think we made a sub on 55 minutes whether there's been how many subs there's been earlier than that that are not due to an injury um, because I'm struggling to think of any. Uh, I, I think there was a, a few at half time a couple of seasons ago when we, when we were sort of one or two nil down. Um, I'm not sure there's been any others um, and it, it was quite stunning. So that and the sort of 10 minute period we had where we were really pushing for stuff and the crowd was up with it for the second I remember the rest of it was just sort of yeah, yeah, I guess so. I, I can't think of an earlier sub myself. I have to say, I, I do think you're right. There possibly have been some half-time subs in in maybe some poor games. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking that might have been something in a cup game, but um, I'm not going to look it up now because we're recording a podcast, aren't we? So um, probably probably crack on with that. I reckon. Um, but yeah, look, we had some. We had a couple of chances. There weren't. Anything, wasn't anything particularly significant it wasn't one of those games where you look back and said oh you know key moments there would have changed everything there's certainly nothing of note first half really at all um start right at the start of the second half this is possibly you know i was saying there weren't any pivotal moments but this possibly was one when Coyote got through and um had an opportunity to shoot and realistically should do better he's kind of slashed at the ball a little bit and it's gone high and wide but it's probably a better chance than that shot made it look but great to see that intent I, I don't think we you know, we, for the reasons we've already discussed in depth, we could probably start the game off with that level of intent. Um, but sometimes it does feel a little bit of a shame that we don't do it until we're until we're losing matches. Um, a little bit later on, we've already mentioned it in passing, but uh, another chance that we had was from a PVA taking a corner this time. Um, Luca had just gone off gone off the pitch, um, been substituted for Benteke. Comes on the pitch, great header, absolutely leap, incredible height on the leap. All of this is you no. Know, that's Benteke at his very, very best is when he's leaping a foot higher than everyone else and powering a header at goal. Absolutely sensational save from Edison to push it onto the bar, and it really is just his luck that he gets that that moment, and then no other crosses for the rest of the game the entire time he's on the pitch. Um, but yeah, incredibly unlucky and, and a fantastic effort in my view. I, I was thinking about this during the game and. Even before the game, to be fair, um, you look at City's lineup and they didn't have any uh, central defenders. They had midfielders playing in defence. I mean, Roy wouldn't have guessed this beforehand because they don't usually do this. They do play with actual centre backs. Um, but let's say if Ben Teke started the game, um, do you think that he would have? I wouldn't say he would have been better, but would he have offered something different? Because as soon as Ben Teke came on, I don't know if you guys realise. Um, Pep made a change and put on John Stones as well to actually counter that and one of the players that who hasn't performed so far this season has been John Stones so it would have made 
basically Pep played someone who isn't on form and it would have offered something different. I, I think you, you make a really good point there, Dale. And in, in asking the question, Pep answered that question um, effectively before the game even even started because in his pre-match interview he talked about the fact that Benteke would come on the pitch later on he talked about the fact he had no centre-backs and he said oh you know when Benteke comes on the comes on later on it might be a problem and it's just like you know he he already that I mean you know, we talk about our predictability and that that's really where it is he already knew um once obviously the the lineup was announced that Benteke would be coming on later on, and he already had that chan- change in mind. I'm, I'm absolutely certain of it because he effectively said he had. But in questioning whether or not Benteke should have started, you know, the the, the question really becomes: Does IU deserve to be dropped? And and the answer to that has to be no because he's been great for us. But in reality, if if you know that the opposition is, you know, short centre backs, you really want to 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 test them as much as humanly possible. If there's any weakness in your opponent, you you target it. And I'm not sure how much of a difference it would have made, but part of me agrees and, and and has that same sort of wondering in my mind of what if we had taken that chance. And you don't necessarily have to drop IU. You could change the system and play Benteke and IU if you like. But if we'd maybe just put them under pressure, got a bit more direct straight off, could have got something different happen. But... It's very, very difficult. They're still a, a class team and they still had so many attackers on the pitch that, that, that could take us apart at any moment. I don't think it's that big of an issue. But good question anyway. Um, yeah, the only other chance of note that, that sort of comes to mind was was late on when Zaha forced another good save out of Edison. Just basically picked up a loose ball, went to the right-hand side of the area, driving towards goal, shoots across, good save. And IU, a little bit of a... a Poor effort, shall we say, on the follow-up, but a very, very tight angle for him to actually score. But, you know, he has his head in his hands and seems a little bit disappointed. So, you know, maybe too late really to impact the game, but maybe could have got something there too. Is that the same chance where um, Wilf does get tripped as he's going into the box and could arguably have dived for a penalty and chose not to and carried on? I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a bit of contact there, but... um... But, you know, or, or maybe there wasn't because, well, you know, we all know Wolf's a terrible diver, isn't he? So, you know, obviously he obviously would have fallen down if there was contact. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, I'd say, but I, I think he you know, obviously showed his intent as well there, but, but a good save. Um, talking of good saves, there were three key saves from Hennessy and, and a number of other saves, but the three I picked out, first half, brilliant tip over from a Bernardo Silva shot. I mean, that is a top save to get. Um, I think he was sort of diving over, so his, his left hand just tips it over and wide. Brilliant, brilliant save. Fantastic save to the right from Jesus. Um, again, pushing it wide brilliantly, and that's something he's not always done uh, when making saves. Sometimes gets his hand to it, sort of doesn't really divert it out of the way, but really good strong right hand to it, pushed it around the post. Uh, and another follow-up save uh, later on from from Jesus, who really should have squared it to De Bruyne for a tap-in. But really good positioning, stood up really well for the challenge. Obviously, we talked about the goals he conceded, but this kind of leads us into the man of the match discussion. Um, and I can't, in terms of top performers, I think it, for me, it, you know, Wayne probably gets man of the match. As I say, I'm not his biggest fan as a goalkeeper in terms of ability. Um, but in terms of that performance from a from a second choice goalkeeper, I, I, you've got to respect it. He did extremely well, and if if Guaita's out for a, for a long period, arguably that's um that's a positive. 
I'd probably go with Jimmy Mack myself. Um, I thought Hennessy did did well, um, but at times his distribution was poor. Um, and I think we've come to u- get used to slightly better distribution than he offered. Uh, you could see a couple of times visible frustration from the players. Um, I think one of them was a ball out to PVA uh, when he was on the break, uh, ballooned over him out into touch, and and he was he was pretty pissed off. Um, I, uh, Jimmy Mack just seemed to have another game in front of the defence where he, he just he dominated. Um, so it was a bit of a toss up for me between the two of them, but I, I'd have given it to uh, the short Scotsman. I'd go for Hennessy, and the reason I'd go for Hennessy is because he really hasn't had a lot of game time in you know quite a while since since Guaita arrived, and you know while it wasn't the, the best performance, it was a solid performance, and in a game like this when you're playing you know one of the two best teams in the country, you've got to have a keeper who's absolutely you know on it, and he's not at fault for either of the goals fundamentally, so. You know, for me, yeah, easy, Hennessy. I'll have to go with Scott Dan. Um, no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll have to go with Wayne Hennessy as well. <laughs> I mean, look, in the first half, I wasn't comfortable with him being in goal because there were times, even though he wasn't really at fault with the goals, but there were times where crosses were going into the box and he wasn't using his height to an advantage and he was just flapping the crosses. But in the second half, as the game went on, he went on, he looked more comfortable and made some good saves. Vicente is still my number one. I feel like when Vicente doesn't play, our chance of winning the game reduces massively um, because he's that much of a quality goalkeeper. But Hennessy, as a second-choice goalkeeper, I thought he'd done a decent job overall. Well, there we have it. I think, um, yeah, not I, I, MacArthur was probably the, you know, the pick of the outfield players. I'll agree with that. I thought Cahill, again, strong game. You know, a few people sort of questioning Wilf. I think it's important to remember... He's, you know, he's had a couple of long, long trips to play international football as well. He did seem a little bit short of his usual uh, frenetic pace. And I think the thing sticking in most people's minds, as mentioned earlier, was um, was being outpaced by Fernandinho. And I just think that's a that's a situation where he's, he's looked at the space he's got, he's looked at the pass and he's thought he's easily going to get there. And he hasn't counted on the fact that Fernandinho is going to go absolutely insane running faster than he's probably ever run in his life and he's just yeah unfortunately not quite been at the at the races there i thought Coyote, I thought, look with wilfred zaha quickly um these are the games that he should step up in if he wants that big move and i found that a bit i found i found it a bit disappointing um i feel like as the game went on there was an incident as well he started the game off well um, in terms of tracking back and helping wardy but as the game went on he just seemed to lose focus i don't know if it was the tiredness factor as you said he was on international um duty as well uh but like he got the starting ran all the way up the pitch and tackled zaha and then zaha was on the floor and he was just jogging back and if City done that switch to the right-hand side, Woody was going to be so isolated and was going to be in deep trouble. So situations like that, in terms of effort, I didn't see him putting in the effort for the whole 90 minutes. And I was a bit disappointed because the game's on TV and you have to step up if, if you want to prove yourself as that big player because skill plays to a certain part, but players and other teams, are, especially big clubs, they're going to look at your attitude and it just didn't seem like it was there against City. 
Again, I think we're talking. We're getting a little bit into microanalysis again because you know, obviously he's just hurtled all the way up the pitch. So for him to then turn around and hurtle all the way back again, I, I, you know, yes, I, I see what you mean, and you could, you can look at it in that way. I do think it's also worth noting that there was a couple of tactical shifts, um, both swapping sides with Jeffrey Schlupp, and then there was a shift to to have him playing more centrally for a period of time as well. I think sometimes it's difficult to. To keep track of that, to realise, you know, when you're looking, oh, why isn't Wilf tracking back? It's actually because he's moved positions and he's no longer supposed to be tracking back. Um, but I think, you know, he's he's a player who, because of his circumstances, people will be looking closely for any perceived sign of of him not giving everything. But you're, you're absolutely right. You know, he's a, he's a human and he's a um, and he is susceptible to being frustrated and and also for for having poor games I don't think he had a poor game I think he had a reasonable game but in, in terms of what you're saying Dio, you're absolutely right in terms of getting a big move he has got to he's got to shine pretty much every match if he's well to we know he's that good we, we really do but um I don't know, as I say he's a human being so let's talk a tiny little bit um not as much time as it perhaps deserves but um Joel Ward made his uh, 200th league appearance prior to the match and there was a tribute at the game a fantastic tribute at the game to Joel Ward it looked absolutely incredible um seeing it back and um and, and a fitting tribute Mike obviously you are a massive Joel Ward fan and in any way you can <laughs> praise him you will but I think you know in this day and age 200 league games for Palace lots of those at Premier League level in fact I think he's got the highest Premier League appearances for Palace um, and this season, despite, you know, I had reservations and he does, you know, in my view, have limitations. He's actually got better and better as the season's gone on, I think. I, I feel like he has. Um, I know the Wolves thing uh, sticks in people's minds, the goal, but um, he's been as solid as you can expect from a right back. Um, I was in the Cronks bar before the game, thus missing the... Uh, the thing I've seen photos of since, I need to definitely get into the ground uh, and get my seat earlier. Uh, a, to stop people nicking it and uh, and B, to, to, to help out with these things. Um, you're talking about 400 grand for 200 appearances. My maths is poor, but um, that's, that's two grand. That's two grand per appearance for that transfer fee. And I would say that you will not find much better value than that. Um, you can't you can't fault him for his effort yesterday. Um, there was a couple of balls over. Their, their crosses tend to, tended to hang a little bit long, a few of them. Um, and he was excellent with his coverage, heading stuff off for corners, that kind of thing. Um, I really don't think you could have asked much more of a man that last season was by far the second choice right back. Indeed. And in the interest of time, both DR and Chris like him too. Um, so let's move on so um, that's that's the game covered um, let's have a little chat about Luca. lots of um, discussions I got into a bit of a debate on Twitter earlier on today started by Nicholas Gillard um, a variety of views and I think I'm very much going to nail my colours to the mast on this one so we're talking about Luka Milivojevic and whether or not we're a better team with him in, in it or him not in it and there's, a, and there's lots of different angles to this but the sort of suggestion was uh, starting from Nick that that Luca gives the ball away too much, particularly in key areas, um, and that you know he doesn't, it, you know, it's about time he got dropped because he's not really performing all this kind of stuff. And few people agree, and few people disagree. And I, I strongly disagree um, personally because I think it's 
it's definitely a perception issue. And I suppose in one way, I'd, I'd say the first thing that happens on the match of the day highlights, looking back at those, is that you see Luca give the ball away. I think partly that sticks in people's minds when they're watching things back. I think you will always notice um, someone misplacing a pass in a critical position. So I thought I'd dig out the stats in terms of pass percentage completion. I think, you know, as well as looking quite closely at number of passes per game on average. So Luca, in terms of the central midfielders, um, he is, um, oh God, I was just trying, I've got it in front of me, can you tell? But I was just trying to sort it and it hasn't sorted properly. So what do we, what do we think is happening you're doing a good job so far. Continue off. Thank, thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, mate. But um, that's that's annoying. It was um, it was sorted earlier on. <laughs> what, what do I do? Did that should be. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, why why not? While I'm trying to figure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if you guys remember what I said last week about how many games he's played without taking a single minute off. And yesterday you saw it by Roy Hodgson actually um, subbing him off. And I don't remember the last time he's done that with Luka Mitrovic. So, I mean, that's a positive. And I just think Luca deserves... A, not. I don't think he should be dropped. I've, someone said it on Twitter as well. That phrase is, is wrong. I think he deserves, like, a rest for a couple of games. Um, just like Andros uh, has done. And it's worked out well for him. You know, Andros had a start of the season. He wasn't great. He was dropped for a bit. And then coming off the bench, he's actually impacted the game in a positive way. So maybe him sitting down for a couple of games or coming off the bench, it might not harm. And also, it's it's hard when people are comparing Luka Milivojevic and McCarthy and saying he's better. I mean, Luka's been at the club for how many years now? McCarthy's only had one start. So it's hard to say who's better. But McCarthy seemed like he could put in a decent shift. He's proved that against West Ham. So maybe playing McCarthy in place of him. And it, I mean, the next couple of games against top, top teams. So I wouldn't play Camaras or Maya in place of him. But so if you play McCarthy in place of him and if it doesn't work, bring Luke off the bench. Uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because I, I'm not sure that McCarthy or anyone plays quite the same role uh, as Milivojevic. So it, it's a difficult one. Um, we've got a few comments on Twitter about, we've got a lot of comments on Twitter about this. Um, I mean, uh, Nick Gillard had posted ab- about him and uh, it's a divisive topic. Uh, a lot of people, well, he initially said, um, I think we're better without Luca, um, and he's probably a tongue in cheek there a little bit. Uh, a lot of people just replied with no. Um, Rob too said, "Yep, need some time on the naughty step," which, uh, as a dad with young kids, I can relate to. Uh, more and more people saying no. Uh, Ebo, he's certainly out of form at the moment and gets caught in possession a lot. I think he and Kuate are doing the same thing, and I'd probably say Kuate does it better. Interesting. Uh, I mean, it makes me wonder whether we do quite know what Luca does or whether, a bit like Kabai back a couple of seasons ago, uh, we'll only know when he's not there. Um, mm. Craig Skinner said, I actually thought about this myself yesterday. What does he bring to the team, penalties aside? So, I mean, it, I, th- I think possibly um, it's the fact that we are not capable of quite sometimes seeing the, the, the stuff that these players do. I think that's that's a really important point. Look, you know, he does a specific role in screening the back four. Um, when people talk about him maybe not doing that as well as he might, you know, quite often he's 
sort of is the only one doing that role. So it's not actually that easy to do, particularly when you look at games like the Man City game. Um, for people to suggest that McCarthy is a better option because of, of one game where we played West Ham, I don't think is fair either. I really like McCarthy as, as a player. I, re- I, I do. I think he's, um, he's, he's a very talented player and can be slightly aggrieved that he got dropped. Um, but, you know, I think where where people kind of miss the point, look, Luca has, he plays the most passes in terms of, average passes per game of, of anyone in our whole, whole squad as of this, this season. Um, 41, I think, K, uh, 40, 46. I think Cahill's the nearest challenger on 40, just under 41, right? So he plays a huge number of passes. So therefore, even with a with a decent pass percentage, he's still giving away the ball more often than most other people because he's got the ball more often than most other people. So he plays an absolutely pivotal role in linking play. So, I mean, Nick even came back with the thing, saying, oh, well, how many of those passes were were forwards? Well, that's not what he's there to do. He's there to win the ball back, close down space, and set other attacks going. I I don't think anyone in our team does that better than Luca. Now, if you want to talk to me about, does anyone take a better set of piece than Luca? I might have a, 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 a different view on that. If you want to talk to me about, is he the best captain for the club? Currently, I don't think there's any reason to, to change that. But, you know, you would argue if Gary, Gary Cahill perhaps had more service, he, he'd perhaps be a, a stronger option. But I don't see any reason to change the captaincy. But set pieces, I can I can see the point there. The the real thing about this, I mean, I, I, I almost don't don't understand why we're talking about it. But I suppose it's come up and it's created a lot of debate. So here we go. Here's here's my two penneth. I think Luca, as as you say, Chris, he he links up play in a really important way. A lot of what he does is negative, you know, necessarily necessarily negative, in that it's about destroying what the opposition want to do, and you will only ever notice that when there's someone else who's not doing that as well as he is doing it. That's part one. The second is just that you know, naturally he he plays a linchpin metronomic role in terms of moving the ball from, unless Wayne Hennessy or Guaita is kicking the ball long, then you know, he's the natural player to collect the ball from the centre-backs and then push it out to the sides, whichever side that is. And that, that's a really important role just in moving the ball forward. So, you know, I don't think it's necessarily just a question, you know, as per Nick's comment of, you know, how many of those passes were forwards. Actually, frankly, they mostly are sideways, and that's the right thing to do because he's run forward with the ball. Just seems really obvious to me, but you know, I guess that's the point. Yeah, typically there's the sort function on the stats is now working, but uh, <laughs> we're pretty much done. But you're absolutely right, Chris. Um, uh, interestingly, the pass percentage highest in the who would you who would you reckon is the top of the table in terms of pass percentages? Uh, Goita. Oh. Silence. Camarasta. It's actually Victor Camarasta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with an entire th- th- three passes, all successful. <laughs> Five minutes. This is for in the Premier League, by the way. So three passes, all 100% successful in his five minutes of play. But um, but Luke is the highest. Uh, accuracy percentage of all the central midfielders. He's also, as I said earlier, the highest number of passes. He's the highest in terms of key passes. Every way possible, pass-wise, he does the most. Crosses, I mean, yes, that's hugely impacted by the fact that he takes the set pieces. 
Um, like I say, and I think that's something that's up for debate. There was a free kick in the, in the first half against City that fell, actually landed at the feet of James MacArthur in the box, but it was clearly aimed for the back post because that's what everyone was talking about. And he completely mishit it, you know, mishit a standing ball. So th- I think delivery-wise, there's something, something to be said there, but he does so much better work. And I really don't get what he did against City to even warrant this discussion, as you're kind of saying, Chris. It's like... Other than yeah, that one moment where he gave the ball away early in the f- in the first half, I think there were so many other times where he stepped out. And the thing that you remembered earlier on, Mike, uh, Mike, when you're talking about the sort of first time hooked pass, that was actually Luca playing that across the pitch um, r- rather than Joe Ward. You know, he he's yeah top player, but an- another one of those in the long line of players who, as you're suggesting, don't get appreciated until until they're not in the team and not around. Uh, and also telling that Nick, who started this debate, also wrote off Jamile Yedinak long before he was um, ready to come out of the team, arguably if he ever was ready to come out of the team. But there we go. I think that's probably enough to leave that there. Quickly, who had the most shots on target? Guess. Oh, no. I don't worry, Laura. It flopped. <laughs> I thought it was Ben right. It wasn't Ben Teke. Sorry. End the show. Well, <laughs> well who was it then? <laughs> Wilf? Actually, it might be Benteke. Wait, he had the most... Because I didn't have a shot on target. Wilf had one as well. Oh, it's, it's a tight one. Who had the most shots on target? Wilf has had one shot on target. Can we stick to making comments based on actual statistics rather than it guessing is, stuff? It is, it is statistics, without, though. Yeah, without, is. Wilf has had one. Yeah, it is Wilf and Benteke. Yeah, I say, without looking it up, I can remember <laughs> two shots on target in the whole game. And I know who took them because we've talked about them. So... So, yeah, one each. Thanks for that, DR. Important interjection right at the end there. Um, yeah. Yeah, vital, vital work. And uh, you love to see it. There was one um, one comment in that we were going to talk about, and that's um, from Michael Ch- Michael QL Chewy, who's um, said, are we, it's the same question that's come up a few times, are we avoiding playing Camarasa so we aren't forced to pay the money for his appearance clause? No, we're not. Move on. And um, other than that, I think that's more than enough for you this week. So thank you very much indeed for listening. Do share and subscribe this podcast on your favourite podcast app. Rate us five stars. Uh, DR will be back with others (laughs) on the Love Sports Show Tuesday, 8 till 9pm. And obviously don't forget the preview show later in the week. Probably hit you around Wednesday slash Thursday night. Uh, where Terence, Sam, and I think Albert's on holiday now, isn't he? So um, someone else will be uh, will be presenting. Yeah, it's it's me, I think. Oh bloody hell! Well, there you sorry, go. Sorry, sorry, people. Double dose of Mike in uh, what a, what a week it's going to be. Double DR and double Mike. Impressive stuff. Anyway, DD. Thank you very much. What? Right. Everyone other than other than DR on the panel, thanks for joining me. DR, shut up. Uh, cheers to Mikey for producing. We'll be back next week. Bye. Complicated. What? Complicated. What? Complicated. You're complicated.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.